Alright, so here we go. Um, turn it on the map. Uh, the celebration of the greatest event in human history is on two weeks away, right? And, and as a culture, as a society, we overlook it. Like, like we, we know it's here, and it, it, it comes, and, 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 and you know, and it's, just, it's Easter, and it's here. It's like, okay, Easter's behind us, and now let, let's move on to the next thing. When's summer going to get here? And so we're going to be sharing in a breakfast that morning, all right? Kids get to hunt the eggs and all that good stuff. We've already talked about that kind of stuff. But, it, but here's the thing. I challenge you this year to be praying for one more, right? Like, like who, who's one more in your life? Who's the, who's the somebody that's, that's maybe down the hallway in your office or at the end of your street or, or you know, somebody that you pass by, somebody that, that is whatever. I don't care who it is. Who's the one more that you can be praying for? So we've challenged you with this this year. Because here's the thing. Easter, prime time to invite them to church. Because culturally, you know, Easter and Christmas, man, they're the, they're the Sundays that people think they gotta show up to church and it matters and, and you know, it's the Easter's the highest church attendance um, Sunday of the entire year, followed by not Father's Day, but Mother's Day. <laughs> so I'm encouraging you, invite you one more. Invite them, not just to church, invite them to breakfast. And, and I'll even challenge you to do this. Not just to breakfast, but invite them to your, to your family gathering. Because we know y'all go home and y'all go eat some ham and, and all the goods. Invite them to that. Invite them to whatever it is that you've got going on. And, and here's the thing. When you invite them, be specific. Alright? Don't throw out the, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me sometime. Because here's what I've looked for. Sometime is not on any calendar I own. I, I can't find a sometime anywhere on my calendar, right? And so if you just say, hey, I'd love you to come to church sometime, no, 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 no. You're already giving people an out. Let them know, hey, will you come? And that's how you do it. Will you come to church with me Easter Sunday and we're having a breakfast that you can just show up and eat some of the best casseroles in the world that day? Will you come with me? Make them say yes or no. Because people don't like saying no, right? So that's coming up. Be praying for you one more. Let's uh, let's do it. Let's be concerned about people. All right. Last week we spent a lot of time teaching on the temptation of Jesus and the spiritual warfare that he successfully faced. If you remember that, he was in the wilderness. He was alone. He was hungry forty days, forty nights. Uh, he was thirsty. So there were some major physical demands on his well-being, but because he knows the schemes of Satan, and that's exactly what Ephesians refers to them as, schemes, strategies. Because Jesus knows the strategies of Satan, he had the weapon of, of the Word of God instilled in him. He was able to fight off those temptations, right? So that's where we were last week. Our mountain experience today is the next major event following the temptation in the wilderness. All right, so you get to the wilderness, the end of the wilderness story, if you remember. It says the angels came and they ministered to him like they brought him a buffet. Right, that, that's what they did. They, they brought down some of heaven's finest and they ministered to him. His strength was restored and he comes back. And Jesus starts to go along the Sea of Galilee and he starts to preach this message of repentance. 
And he says, I'm telling you to repent because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And in this next scenario, as he's going around, he's preaching, he, he meets the guys who will be his disciples. And he calls his first disciples. And, and these men were some, some young Jewish men who knew very well what we call the Old Testament, right? Now, it wasn't compiled as the Old Testament. It wasn't structured as the Old Testament for them. They just had bits and pieces of the prophets of old and, 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 and different things, but they knew the first five books of the Bible, all right? And these men knew of the coming Messiah, and now they're getting it. There's like, there's this guy that's preaching about this, this kingdom of heaven that's here. And so Jesus, after the temptation uh, in the wilderness, he survives that. He's preaching along, and he invites these men into a relationship. You guys know it. We talk about it all the time. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? That's Matthew 4, 19 and 20. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 4, verse 23. Right. It's going to come up here on the screen. There it is. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now I want you to mark this in your Bible. If you've you got a Bible, whatever, highlight that. The gospel of the kingdom. All right, we're going to come back and listen just a little while. All right, so uh, he's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons. We're going to talk about demons next week, by the way, so come back for that. Those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, I'm not going to talk about that. All right, let's talk about this text right here. All right, there's a lot of stuff going on here. First off, his Instagram game must be on fire, right? Like Jesus' Snapchat, it must be working because he comes out preaching and word of him and who he is spreads like wildfire. Now we got a map. I want to. I want to. There's a lot of a lot of locations listed in this text that I want you to, to kind of get, and I want you to understand. So I know it's I know it's small. You can't read everything, but we're going to talk about the two major things that that you can read. Right. So here's some some of the details uh, of of that text. Right. Some some places that you need to know as we're going into the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, these are the locations. First off, Syria. Now, where's Syria on this map? It's not on this map. All right? Syria would be about uh, 40 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. That's what the big blue thing is in the middle. If you can't read that, that's the Sea of Galilee. Now, just for reference, the Sea of Galilee at its widest is about 7 miles wide and about 12 miles long. All right? Not necessarily a sea, but they're desert people and, you know, a bird bath for them to see. Um, they, don't, they don't need, like, lakes and ponds and creeks. And, I mean, it's like it's a body of water. It's a sea. 
Uh, all right, so Syria is not even on this map. But news of Jesus has reached Syria. Now, the wilderness in which Jesus is, is said to have, have been uh, tempted is, is, is kind of to the left of the Sea of Galilee, kind of just below the word Galilee, kind of, kind of in that region. And Syria is 40 miles northeast. And so from where Jesus is going along the, the, the Sea of Galilee preaching, people 40 and 50 miles are hearing of him. Now there's no landlines. There's no dial-up internet. I mean, there's, there's absolutely nothing. But yet word of Jesus is reaching that land up there. And then it says Galilee. So you see, you see Galilee, that's to the left. That's that whole kind of region right there. That's pretty cool. And then it says the Decapolis. Here's the interesting thing about the Decapolis. The Decapolis is on this right side of, of you see that river that comes down. That's the Jordan River. We'll talk about that. The Decapolis is, is, a, is a, a group of 10 cities, more or less, uh, that have been developed by Alexander the Great with a very heavy Greek influence. Now, now, what's that mean? The Greek influence is where we get our basis of, of thinking and reasoning. Our very nature of the Western mindset comes from the Greeks. And so in this Middle Eastern region, you have this section of towns of the Decapolis that, that think and reason differently than, than all the other people around them. And, and that's because of Alexander the Great. He came in, and, and, and here's, here's the mindset of, of the Greeks. My way and now. Very self-centered, very, it's all about me. That's the Decapolis. Word of Jesus is spread throughout this whole region over here. And then it says Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's not even on this map. Jerusalem, from the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem's 40 miles south. Okay. News of Jesus, this Messiah, has reached Jerusalem. And then it says Judea, this, this kind of uh, Galilee south side over here, kind of parallel to the Decapolis, and then further south, that would be Judea, and then beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan is everything kind of over here to the right and, and off the screen. News of Jesus has reached all of these regions in a matter of days and weeks of him preaching. Right? Now, the interesting thing about this map is, is if you kind of take the Sea of Galilee and, and about uh, two-thirds of the way up from, from the bottom is Magdala. There's a lady by the name of Mary. She's from this, this region. If you kind of start right there at Magdala and you kind of go around to the top where the Jordan River comes in, 75% of Jesus' ministry is done right there in that region. All right? Now, I personally, how many of you have seen The Chosen? Just a quick show of hands. All right, I, I, I like The Chosen. I'm not going to bash The Chosen, but I'll tell you this. I personally don't think the scene in season two, I think it's season two, where they get to the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think the scene played out the way The Chosen portrayed it. 
Okay, just, just I'm, I'm, not, I'm not seeing that in, in the nature of Jesus. And verse 1 of chapter 5 is super important for where we're going today. Put that back up there. Seeing the crowds, it says, He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, news of Jesus has spread all over the region, and people are coming to him. People are finding him. And so these crowds of people, it's a mixture of people from all over. And as he sees the crowds assembling, he goes up on the mountain. And he goes up and he sits down. And his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Now, before we get into the teaching and the rest of it, I want you to think about a story. Maybe a story that you've heard recently that took place on a mountain where God goes up on a mountain and he talks to a crowd. The mountain is the mountain of God or Mount Sinai. God tells Moses, you come up here. I want you to bring the people to the base of the mountain. There's a barrier across here that they're not allowed to set foot. If anything sets foot across this barrier, striking them down dead. But Moses, you come up on the mountain. And in chapter 19 tells us that, that God spoke so that the people could hear the, the voice of God. Number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. I told you, I can't tell the Ten Commandments without singing the song. Number two, he didn't say that. Those great images aren't nice. The voice of God is thundering down, giving out the Ten Commandments to the people. And they tremble. And they tell Moses, we don't want to work. You be the guy that God talks to. And then you talk to us. And God gives these Ten Commandments. He speaks these Ten Commandments. And everybody hears them. And these Ten Commandments are a guide for his people. Because what are they about to do? They're about to embark on the rest of the journey to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And God is going to establish them as his holy nation, a priesthood. He says, you're, you're going you're to be a, a kingdom amongst other kingdoms. And these Ten Commandments that I give you, they're going to be what rules your land. You're going to be set apart. You're holy because you're mine. That's what makes you holy. And these Ten Commandments are going to be for you. And everything in the Ten Commandments, we studied this, they have to do with relationships. The first three have to do with my personal relationship and God. Right here. Commandment number four, the Sabbath, that's all about me. That's the self-care. We don't need spa days. All right? We don't, we don't need, we, we need Sabbath. That is what we need the most. That's about our relationship with ourselves. And then commandments five through ten, all about each other. How we view and treat each other. That is is the mountain scene. And now Jesus is on a mountain. And he's with people from all over, not just his holy people, but people all over. And there are people with different backgrounds, there are, there are people with different mindsets, there are people who were despised by the Israelites. That's, that's who's there. 
And the preamble to the sermon that Jesus is about to give is this list of nine thoughts. You know them as the Beatitudes. Now we're not gonna we're not gonna get into the Beatitudes. I, I know the Beatitudes are actually taught in nine separate little things, and when we try to strive to be you know poor in spirit or meek or whatever, that's not how it works. The the Beatitudes are actually they they, they build on one another. Um, next year we're gonna do an extensive sermon series on on the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching. The funny thing about this, I shared this with our guys earlier today, is like you can read the entire Sermon on the Mount. You can read the entire Sermon on the Mount in 15 minutes or less. I'm a slow reader. I can do it in 15 minutes. Right? Entire sermon, 15 minutes. I'm going to spend four months talking about it. Right? Because, you know, Jesus is like, I got a sermon for you. It's 15 minutes long. I'm already exceeded that, right? Already today. And so there's just there's just some some humor in that for me. That, that, okay. All right, back to Jesus. So you know the scene. Jesus on the mountain, got a large crowd, Old Testament thinking, Moses, God, mountain, commandments. Now jump with me to Matthew chapter 5. You got the Beatitudes. Jesus talks about that, talks about salt and light. Now, look what Jesus says next. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we can get into righteousness. Um, it's often taught that righteousness is, is, is right living. It's not. And we, and we gotta we gotta erase that mindset. Righteousness is right identity. It's right standing. I'm not righteous because of of, of all the check marks of, of all the boxes I check every day. Of, of I didn't send that back today, so I'm closer to righteous than other days. It's, it doesn't work that way. I'm righteous only because I have Jesus in my life and I'm forgiven. That's what makes us righteous. I'm a child of God. And so it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter what you're working through right now. If you are a child of God, you are righteous in his eyes. And he tells you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't getting into the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, this doesn't work that way. Now what's the deal with the Pharisees and the scribes? Another sermon for another day, but they thought a whole lot of themselves. All right, so again, this is what Jesus is doing. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it completely. Now think about the setting. He's on a mountain. The crowd is gathered. Jesus is teaching about the law. In the audience's mind, at least the Jews, at least the disciples, who notice that's who he's teaching. All right? That's what it says. The disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth teaching them. He's teaching these Jews in their mind, they're going back in history to Moses on a mountain with God. And the people, if you remember, 
from three weeks ago, they begged for Moses to be the mediator between themselves and God. And God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. But now, instead of the people not being allowed up on the mountain, Jesus sits down with them. Face to face. He starts to teach them. He says things like this. If you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. It's a commandment. But, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Well, before it was just about murder. It was just about me getting so mad at you that I wanted to end your life. But now Jesus comes on the scene and he says, even if you have bad thoughts about other people. Remember, we talked about me. You know, we talk, I, I've killed a lot of people. I've murdered a lot of people. And then he rolls right into it. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's okay. I'm faithful to my, to my wife. But I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, Jesus, he's up in the game. He's going to talk about a divorce talks about how, how if, if divorce is not good unless it's unless there's sexual immorality and then he gets into vows and he, and he says if you're if you let your yes be yes and your no be no yeah I'll be at that thing Saturday and he don't show up uh oh that's what you just did we do it all the time and we take it lightly around here yeah I'll do that but, oh man I did a couple weeks ago with Bob and Ernie. Told them, yeah, let's go to lunch. And then guess what we didn't do? Go to lunch. Why? Because I said yes to something else. Happens all the time. Let your yes be yes. And then Jesus talks about, oh, revenge. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Heck yeah. More power to you. Let's do it. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right, turn to him the other also. Come on, Jesus. Like, I mean, these are young Jewish men sitting there. And they're hearing these words explained this way for the very first time. And, and then he says something real crazy like, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yes, we got that one. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father. That's it, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not in our DNA as Americans. All right? We, we, we. Okay, how about I just ignore my enemy? 
Now let's do that. I'll just ignore the people that get underneath my skin. I'll ignore the people that, that I don't like. How about that? Pray for them. I'll pray for them. They got, got a problem with it. Take care of them. It's not how it works. Pray for them, church. Pray for them so that you may be sons of your father. He talks about giving. When you give to the needy, do not let your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. He gives me prayer. We do a whole sermon on prayer. We do a whole sermons on prayer. And he talks about fasting. And this then is how you pray. Our Father who is in heaven, great is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Kingdom, you're preaching the gospel of the kingdom and you're here now. Is that, are you, are you saying that the army's coming and we're going to kick Rome's tail and get rid of them? And when you fast, Americans, yep, that part doesn't even make it into our Bibles, does it? Then it gets into money and possessions. Where do you store your treasures? 401k? What them stocks? Huh? What's, what, what, where are your, i got to have retirement. Because retirement's a biblical thing. I get it. I understand the validation. I understand what we're talking about here. He's like, oh no. We, we make heavenly investments. And then, how about this one? Don't even worry. I, I, I tell you, do not even be anxious about your life. Well, hello, Jesus, that's the one thing I am anxious about, my life and the life of those who I'm responsible for. But he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, or what you'll drink. We'll go ahead and tell them Stella right now. Four out of five days. I get a text message. Oh, about 3.20, 3.30. Not dad. I hope you had a great day at school or at work today. Uh, dad, I had this. It is this right here. What is for dinner? Four out of five days. Do not worry about what you will eat. That's not acceptable. Answer to Stella just so you know. What you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his identity. And all these things will be added. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hey, church, there's a difference between, hey, I'm going to be praying about something that's coming up, or I'm working through an issue right now, I'm going to be praying about it, and I think about it. There's, there's an issue between that and I'm consumed with this thing. And that could be anything. It could be medical, it could be financial, it could be spiritual. doesn't matter. Anything that we let consume our thoughts, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about it. And then he just rolls right in to judgment. Why do you even 
see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye. I, 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 we shared this with the Ten Commandments. We, we, love, we love to use the Bible, right, as binoculars. And we look and to see what's going on in your life and point out, oh, yeah, you struggle with this, don't you? You struggle with this, don't you? We love to look on a mirror instead. And then he sums it up. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law. So Jesus says, how we treat one another. What I wish would happen to you is the same thing that I hope would happen to me as well. That is the law. And then he goes on and he talks about the narrow gate. He talks about producing fruit. The wide gate, the narrow gate. And then he's like, hey, yeah, something wide is the gate that people are on. They think they're going to heaven, but narrow is the gate. The actual heaven. He's talking about producing fruit. And then he says some really uncomfortable things that we all ought to be aware of when he talks about what a true disciple is. And he's like, people are going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, look at us. Look at what we did. And we cast out demons and we healed people and we did all this stuff in your name. And you know what Jesus says? Get away from me because I don't even know you. What do you mean? They're over here casting out demons. Anybody that to cast out demons? Scared to know. We might need you for next week. Right? Any, any, anybody, anybody part of major healings? Right? I mean, Jesus is given the instance of these people over here doing some pretty significant things. And he's going to look at them and say, get away from me, because I don't even know you. That ought to kind of send all of us a little bit of a red flag, a little tingle down the spine, because he says, only those who do the will of my Father will get to go to heaven. So we better be figuring out what the will of the Father is. John chapter 6, FYI, if you want to go check it out some other time. And then he ends it all with building your life on a solid foundation. What's the foundation of your life? Is it the things, the advice, the wisdom of this world? Or is it the, the advice and the wisdom of God's word? What are you building your life upon? Amen. So that is the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. And of the 18 different topics that Jesus talks about, 11 of them are directly related to our earthly relationships and, and the others about our relationship with Jehovah. Like, 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 let that sink in, church. Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, the, the basics, basis of the law that was given to Moses that are all about relationships, and, and he, he, he takes those and he expands on those. He enhances those. Every single thing in the Sermon on the Mount is about relationship. And when he had finished saying these things, the people marveled at his authority. They marveled at his authority. Now, you and I, we have the luxury of opening up our fake leather Bibles and turning and reading and studying. And we've got years and years and years of, of, of commentaries and, and different things that we can gain the knowledge of. And we're like, oh yeah, this Jesus dude is legit. We get it. 
But they're hearing these things come out of his mouth. And they're marveling at his authority. Where did the, where did the authority come from? That's the question. Well, again, go back to the setting. It's Jesus sitting, seated. He's talking to his disciples. He's teaching them these things. And they're young, and they're Jewish, and they know the first five books of the Bible. And they're connecting the dots of, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so they're tying in the dots back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then it gets to the end, and, and everybody is in awe of the authority that he preaches with over the scribes and Pharisees. Where does it come from? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God, this is a conversation between God and Moses. Moses is recording this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, by the way, uh, on the day of the assembly, that's the Ten Commandments, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. That's what the people were saying. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God is telling Moses about this prophet who is to come. The Messiah, whose name is Jesus. Now, I don't know if you paid attention to the scripture reading that we did. But the scripture reading was very intentional as it set the table for this talk. Because it did the comparison in Hebrews chapter 3 of, of Jesus and Moses. And, and it said in there that Jesus is greater than Moses. And he is over the house. Moses deserves some honor for being in control of the house. But Jesus is the one who builds the house and is the head of the house. And, and so there, there is this within church circles, there's this this comparison of Moses being the Jesus of the Old Testament. And it's not far-fetched. There's a lot of similarities between Moses and Jesus when you think about it. It's quite fascinating. Things like both, at their respective times of birth, both were born under a death decree. Remember the people of Israel? They're slaves. They're getting too big. But they, I mean, they're, they're fruitful people. They're, they're reproducing left and right. And so what's Pharaoh do? All the babies two and younger, kill them. Not a problem. Not our babies. Kill them. And so what does Moses' mom do? Leaves a basket, puts little baby Moses in the river. He floats down. Pharaoh's daughter's doing her thing. Oh, look, a baby. Let's raise him. Moses raised in the palace. Jesus, born under a death decree. Why? 
because these wise men came from the east and said, we're here to see the true Messiah. And Herod's like, can I do what? There's no king? I'll take care of that. Kills all the babies. Uh, both escape into the heart of Egypt. Moses kills an Egyptian. Fears for his life and he runs. He leaves Pharaoh's house and he, he, he runs. Joseph and Mary are told to escape to Egypt. Both are described in detail in four books, beginning with their births and ending with their deaths. You, you hear of the, the birth of Moses in, in Exodus. And you got his life played out in Leviticus and Numbers and his death in Deuteronomy. And the same thing with, with Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You, you see the birth and death within the four books. Both were covenant mediators. Moses was the covenant mediator. He was the go-between between the people of God and God himself of the old covenant. And Jesus is the perfect mediator, we'll talk about in just a second, between us and God. Both gave or received instruction on a mountain. Both were transfigured on a mountain. Talk about that next week. Both were isolated for 40 days without food and water. Did you know Moses also did a supernatural fast? Exodus 34. Jesus. Both are rebelled against by the Israelites. Church, the entire Old Testament is about the coming Messiah. And Moses, who is considered the rescuer, the savior of the Israelites from captivity, as great and revered as he was, this is the guy. He wouldn't just speak from the top of a mountain. Jesus invites us up. He says, come and hear from me face to face. Jesus is the greater Moses. Now, it's a lot of information for you. Right? Let me give you three implications real quick. Almost done. The first thing we need to remember is that Jesus did not come to remove the Old Testament law that was given to Moses on the mountain of God. He came to enhance it. He came to show us how to live it out. I mean, think about that. With God in Moses, it's here they are to do it. With Jesus, it's here they are, I'm going to show you how this is done. He came to show how to live out with one another. What the relationship with God the Father should look like. What the relationship with one another should look like. Hey, when people try to kill you, how should you treat those people? When, when, when people try to nail you to a cross, how should you treat those people? The gospel of the kingdom that I talked about earlier, church, the gospel of the kingdom is not a salvation message only. You know the word gospel as good news, right? Euangelion is, is the word, but it, it, it's so much more than salvation only. And we've and we got to quit calling the gospel a salvation message because that's just the front door. The gospel of the kingdom is, is all about how to have deeper, more meaningful relationships. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of the best places to study Scripture. If you're struggling with a relationship of any kind, 
And I believe that that's why Jesus taught this first to his disciples. Because what's he doing with them? Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to cast you out into the world to be my representatives. And you have to know how to live with people. That's why one of the very first teachings of the disciples is this Sermon on the Mount. That's what his mission was about. And I'm going to show you how to live with each other. Implication number two is that Jesus is our perfect mediator that we have direct access to. And, and, and I know that you've heard this and I know that you've grown up in a culture, but I, I was literally asked this week if I would go, I was literally asked Wednesday if, if I would go before God on the behalf of someone else. And I'm honored. I certainly will lift you up. But, but you realize because of what Jesus did and what he modeled on the Sermon on the Mount, you don't need me. I, I get the whole, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much and, 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 and that talk, right? And again, righteousness, not about you know, checking all the boxes, am I not sinning, and all that kind of stuff. That's about my identity. Yeah. Understand, I'll, I'll certainly lift you up, but you do not have to have me. And, and, and the guy's like, what? You don't have to have me. You have direct access to God. You don't need a high priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't even need to be in a place of, of worship. You have direct access to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite commentators, favorite preachers of old, says this, a mediator is not a mediator of one. He must be akin to both the parties between whom he mediates. If Jesus Christ shall be a perfect mediator between God and man, he must be able to come to God so near that God shall call him his fellow. And then he must be able to approach man so closely that he shall not be ashamed to call him brother. This is precisely the case with our Lord. Church, it does not matter your past. It doesn't matter the demons that you carry around from years ago. He is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He's going to stand before Jehovah with you. He's going to say, this one, this one is mine. I've already atoned. I've already made the payment for his sins. He's the perfect mediator. And then the third implication is that very thing. In just a minute, we're going to go into a time of communion. We're going to, we're going to pass some emblems and Caleb's going to give you some instructions and some thoughts. But I want you to think about another similarity between Moses and Jesus. Do you remember the, the, the infamous story of the golden calf? Moses up on a mountain doing his thing with God. He comes down and he finds God's people worshiping a calf. Right? Golden calf. It's not like we barbecued one where we have a big celebration. It's golden calf that they made. And they're bound down and they're worshiping this thing. Moses is like, oh, these people, I can't believe it. He runs back up. 
He's got the people for they've sinned like like God didn't know that what they were doing that. They've sinned. They're worshiping something else. I'm so sorry. Please forgive them. Then Moses says, "Blot out my life as an atonement for their sin." That's where Moses is in his relationship with God is that, is that he was willing to die on the behalf of the people. And God looked at Moses and says, you're not the guy for that. I've, I've, I've got somebody coming. And he's going to be this propitiation for, for everybody. He, he's, he's going to die for the sins of everybody past and everybody forward. And his name is Jesus. He sits on a mountain. He says, come, let me teach you. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the willingness of Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. <laughs> Father, we're grateful for examples like this where, where we, we see Jesus in the Old Testament through the works of, of your hand and what you're, you were doing then. Always and only pointing to Jesus now. And God, I'm so grateful that, that unlike the Israelites who feared you, <coughs> they were scared of the the lack of holiness in their own lives, God, we can come before you as children of God. And we have direct access to you. And so, God, I, I pray that, that when we walk out of here today, that we are encouraged by that. That no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what the things that I'm carrying right now, I have direct access to you. And God, I'm also grateful for Jesus and his lessons on this, this sermon that, that took place and how every single bit of it helps me with the relationships that I'm struggling with. And, and so God, I, I pray that I will, will do what Jesus says and, and, and I will strive to reconcile the differences. So God, as we go into a time of communion, as we go into time, to a time of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, may we not take this lightly. Recognizing the things that you have done for us, God. We love you and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.